Hey guys, welcome to the Swerve Church Podcast. My name is Danny, the lead pastor. I pray that the message that you're about to hear is encouraging, uplifting, and honestly challenging as well. I want to invite you to join us in person Sundays at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub at 239 Stanhope Street, or catch church online at 11 a.m. on our YouTube or Facebook page. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I pray that you're blessed by today's message and that it helps draw you closer to Jesus. What makes a church a church? Did you ever spend some time thinking about that? Or or what about this? What makes a church a good church? There's a lot of different opinions about this. Maybe you even have your own thoughts about it. How do you determine the quality of a church? Is it the quality of the music? Does it have great singers, awesome musicians, top-of-the-line sound equipment? Is it the facility that the church is in? Is it, you know, a nice, big, clean building? It smells good and has the perfect temperature, and maybe it's led by a funny, charismatic leader. You know, somebody as inspirational as Tony Robbins, but as funny as Kevin Hart. Uh, Let me be honest with you guys. Ultimately, it doesn't matter what you think makes a good or solid quality church. Sorry to break the news to you, because what we've got to do is look into God's Word and see what it says, and then strive towards that. Today, we're starting the final chapter of Philippians, and I truly feel blessed to have been journeying with you all through this letter. I hope you guys feel the same. I think there's some wonderful lessons for us, both as individuals, but also as a church, corporately, as we begin chapter four. What you guys should remember is that Paul has a special relationship with the church in Philippi. As we read in this letter, we see Paul has a lot of affection for the people in Philippi. And the church there also returns the love and affection. We're gonna see more evidence of this in today's passage. I'm going to ask you guys to consider as we read this to think, what can we learn from this passage that we can apply as individuals, as followers of Jesus? Secondly, as we read today's passage, I want you guys to consider what can we learn as a church? What can we learn and apply corporately as a church? What can we strive for? I think there's some important lessons for us to grapple with corporately as a church that we can be that can be absolute game changers in how we bring glory to God, serve one another, and reach our neighbors. So there's three lessons that we can learn from the church in Philippi, and that is that it was, number one, a church full of love and community. We'll be in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Throughout his letter to Philippians, Paul echoes the sentiment of his love toward his brothers and sisters. Remember that these are people Paul has personally shared the gospel with, discipled, and baptized himself. He helped plant and pastor the church in Philippi firsthand, so there's some deep affections for the people of the church there. There's this mutual affection from them as well. Remember, they sent Epaphroditus on a mission to deliver a care package to Paul in his time of distress. So this is a church that is full of love, and in a world that's so full of hatred, how much beauty do you think this do you think can be seen from a body of believers with this much love for one another? It reminds me of the words of Jesus in the book of John. Why don't you read this out loud with me? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Paul also mentions this longing to see and be with his brothers and sisters. He's mentioned this other times as well throughout his letter. He longs to be with them. Remember that Paul is under house arrest for sharing the gospel. He's he's waiting to hear back from Rome to find out what's going to happen to him. Like, is he going to do hard time? You know, is he going to get 
the death penalty for sharing the gospel. And he's been away from his friends and he longs to be close to them again. And you guys need to know this. We were designed for community. Intrinsically hardwired into our bones is the desire and the need for community. From where Paul is standing, he's unable to participate in that community he had when he was with them. In other words, there's a need to be known and to be seen, to be heard and to be cared for. All of that encompasses community. Community continues to be a major need for us today. The church is a place where people can feel loved and fulfill their need for community. The church should be a place for people to be known, to be seen, to be heard, and ultimately to be cared for. You know, many people, and especially in a place like New York City, suffer with a lack of healthy, life-giving relationships. Most of us, if we're honest, live isolated or participate in toxic relationships where it's only giving and never receiving. Can any of you relate to that sentiment? So here's what I want you to think about. If the example that we see in the relationship between Paul and the Philippian church is a church full of love and community, what are you doing to create an environment where people can be loved? What are you doing to foster an environment of community? In other words, what are you contributing to formulate the family? Can you imagine what that could do to the hearts and minds of our neighbors if they saw a loving community fueled by the love of God? If we all realized this and all contributed to making this happen, we'd be able to see a church full of love and community. The second lesson from the church in Philippi is that it was a church full of joy and blessing. Look at today's verse once again. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Paul called his friends in Philippi his joy and crown. And here's the thing about joy, okay? It has nothing to do with happiness. In fact, you can experience joy even when you find yourself in a trying time. Happiness is dependent on circumstances. Joy, however, is a fruit produced from the Spirit of God Himself. And this is why Paul can not only experience joy, but connect that joy to his church family in Philippi, despite writing this letter from a place of solitude and desperation. And I think that's why uh, James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. As followers of Christ, we can experience joy even in times of trial, because God is actively at work in and through us, conforming us into the image of Christ. There's a work that God is doing in us. There's there's a God that is sustaining us. There's a a hope beyond what we experience here and now. And because of that, we can have joy. How beautiful can it be that for Paul, his friends in Philippi can be a source of joy for him? Did you know that you can be a source of joy for your church family? Did you know that you could receive joy from your church family? Even in trying, challenging, and difficult seasons, and listen, we all go through them. Even in those times, we can be a source of joy for one another. And with that word of encouragement, with that reminder of the promise from God's word, with our enthusiasm and love of the Lord, with locking arms to serve our neighbors, with the preaching of the gospel to one another, and literally a thousand other ways. But Paul also calls them his crown. In other words, he considers them a reward or a blessing to him. This is what we aim to be for one another. 
Do you know those people that suck the life out of you? They're like vampires. They're taxing and it feels like they're knocking years off of your life. That's how we shouldn't be for one another. Instead, we should be a blessing to one another. There should be that desire to want to be in each other's lives because we're a blessing to one another. So consider this. Are you a blessing? Do you bring blessing? Do you speak blessing? Do you live as a blessing? Do you try to find ways to be a blessing and not a burden to others? What are you doing to contribute to an environment of joy? Have you ever viewed yourself as a potential bearer and bringer of joy? That you can be a source of joy for others, especially when others are going through seasons of difficulty. The Philippian church was a church full of joy and blessing. Can we strive to be a church full of joy and blessing? In order to be so, we have to each view ourselves as bringers of joy and bringers of blessing. Lastly, the third lesson that we can learn from the Philippian church is that it was a church that stands firm in the Lord. Let's look at the verse again. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord. The last part of this verse is a reminder, a calling, or a command to stand firm in the Lord. This sentiment has been echoed in different ways throughout his letter to Philippi. And this is the thing that sets the church apart from any and every other organization, nonprofit, or, or entity. That is that we are firmly founded and rooted in the Lord. We are rooted on the Word of God and on the Gospel. This is why as a church, we can be about relationships and, and love and compassion and community and not simply be a social club or gathering. This is why as a church, we can be about restoration, meeting needs, compassion ministry, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, and not simply be a social justice-driven nonprofit. This is why as a church, we can be about growing in wisdom and understanding and knowledge. We can grapple with difficult philosophical issues. We can be deep thinkers and learners, and yet not simply be an educational institution. We can have little aspects of each of these things, but ultimately, guys, what sets the church apart is that we stand firm in the Lord. In other words, the Lord is who fuels us. The Lord is who informs us. The Lord is who guides us. And we're grounded upon the gospel. Where the church gets in trouble is when it's founded upon anything else other than founded firmly in the Lord. There's a temptation for us to be grounded in a lot of other things. And some of those things are great things, but none of them are the rock that Jesus said he would build his church upon, that foundation that is the gospel. There's a temptation for us to be all about the social aspects. For example, throw parties, have hangouts, cookouts, get-togethers, dinners, meetings, but that's not what the church is ultimately founded upon, though it's great stuff. There's a temptation to be all about social justice, attempting to correct all the social issues, feed every hungry person, pay down people's debts, build affordable homes, provide showers and clothing and soap and towels for those sleeping on our streets. All great stuff, but not what the church is founded upon or called to stand firm in. There's a temptation to be all about education, you know, have Bible studies, you know, book groups, classes, host debates, seminars, TED Talks, give instructions. Again, a lot of great stuff, but not what the church is founded upon or called to stand firm in. We're called to stand firm in the Lord, to submit and surrender to the gospel, to live for God, and to bring a slice of the kingdom of God to earth. So how can we do this? It begins with individuals who are firmly rooted in the Lord. So take some time to reflect. 
What are you standing on? Are you standing firm in the Lord? Or are you standing on some idea? Are you standing on traditions? Are you standing on ideals? We're called to stand firm in the Lord. We're called to stand firm on the gospel. We're called to stand firm on the freedom and forgiveness that God has granted us through His provision in Christ Jesus. And here's why. In our sin, we have chosen to reject God. Because of our sin, a chasm was created between us and God. And apart from the intervention of God Himself, we were heading for death and destruction. But because of God's immense love for us, He provided a way to reconcile us to Himself. There was nothing that we could do to earn His love. He freely gave His love to us and proved it through the person and work of Jesus. God in human flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, walked among us. He lived a life that we were incapable of living, a, a perfect and sinless life. He upheld and lived to God's standards so that He could stand in our place and satisfy the just wrath of God. Jesus became our sin and died in our place. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus paid the sin debt that we owe, so that when God looks on us, He no longer sees our sin, but Christ's righteousness. Jesus' body was placed in a tomb to show us the, gra the gravity and the weightiness of our sin, but by the power of God, because Jesus has power over the grave, the tomb was rolled away, and He conquered Satan's sin and death so that not all who call upon the name of the Lord can experience forgiveness to sin, have eternity secured, and have a new, purposeful, and fulfilled life now. And this provision, this love of God demonstrated, this gift of grace is available to everyone and anyone who puts their faith in Jesus. And this gift is available to you today. And this is the truth that the church is founded upon. This is the rock where Jesus said he would found his church. This is the source of a church, a body of believers, full of love and community. And since we were demonstrated such love and compassion, our only reasonable response is to demonstrate love and compassion. As we were welcomed into a new community, the family of God, then we become about forming a new community. The gospel truth is the source of the church, creating a church full of joy and blessing. Since Jesus demonstrated joy in light of suffering, and since He brought joy to those who were suffering, since Jesus is a blessing, then we also become about being a joy and a blessing to one another. And since the gospel is the source of the church, we stand firm in the Lord. We stand firm on this truth. We're laser focused on the gospel and on God's word. God, I pray that we might be a church that is full of love and community that the world would know we are your disciples by the love that is demonstrated to one another. God, I pray you help us to form a family centered on the gospel that is full of compassion and may the world see it. God, I pray that we might be a church full of joy and blessing. Help us find joy despite circumstances as you have blessed us and empower us to be a blessing to one another. And God, I pray you help us to stand firm in the Lord. When we're tempted to stray, I pray, God, that you would draw us back to the rock, our chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, I truly pray and hope that you were challenged and encouraged by today's message. I want to take a second to invite you to join us in person. We're gathering this Sunday at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub, 239 Stanhope Street, right here in Bushwick, Brooklyn 
and come on over, join us, come to the Sword Pub, let's worship together, let's get together, let's worship God together, let's learn and grow together, let's fellowship together. Why don't you come on out and join us in person this Sunday?